This is KMTT. This is Ezra Beck, and I want to take a minute for my regular broadcasting. Because this week is the KMTT Appreciation Drive Week. Once a year, and only once a year, we take a few minutes for the regular broadcasting to appeal to our listeners who are the only source of support for KMTT. KMTT is a strictly 100% listener-supported uh, program. And therefore, we have no choice, but once a year, we have to appeal to you to show your appreciation if you have appreciated, if you've learned on this program, and you want the program to continue, to show it in a material manner. Amen. Kemach in Torah. And therefore, we're uh, approaching, we're appealing to the listener base, to the KMTT worldwide community, to take a few minutes this week to show the appreciation by supporting, by giving donations, donations to keep the uh, keep the program going. And how much is KMTT worth to you? It depends on how much you can afford. Uh, I would say that uh, just a basic membership fee for a year. It would be it would be nice if you could send us twenty to twenty five dollars. And if you want to show your appreciation per share, I'd just like to remind you that there are over uh, something like two hundred shiurim, two hundred episodes a year, over a hundred hours of programming. Coffee would be significant if we added up all those shiurim and the show. You know, give what you can and keep the program going. And I'm going to give you two phone numbers, one for the United States, one for Israel, so that you can immediately call to get more information or to make your pledge. And, of course, on the, on the net, you can also donate from, from our website at org. And in New York, the phone number is 212-732-4874. The number of friends of Shabbat Havetzion, and in Israel, 052-545-6023. And now back to our regular programming. This is KMTT, and the weekly Parshat Shavuot This year, Tavshin Ayin, it will be given by Harav Chanoch Waxman. This week, Parshat Vayichi, I would like to talk about the last strange and perhaps slightly tragic encounter between Yosef and his brothers, found at the end of Sefer Breshit, towards the end of Parshat Vayichi. After the return of Yosef and his brothers from the land of Canaan where they are buried Yaakov, the Torah tells us as follows in Perek Nun, Pasig Yudalad. It was after Yosef returned to Egypt, he and his brothers and all those who had ascended with them to bury their father Yaakov in the land of Canaan. And the brothers of Yosef saw that their father had died. And they said, Perhaps Yosef will resent us. Perhaps Yosef will bear a grudge against us. And he returned to us all of the evil that we have done to him. So therefore, what did they do? 
And they commanded to Yosef speaking. Now, as the Mepharshim point out here, they commanded others. It means they sent shlichim, they sent messengers. Rashi even comments, it was the uh, children of, of Bilha, the Bnei HaShvachot. They sent messengers. And what did they send in the hand of these messengers? They told the messengers to tell Yosef, that your father, Avicha, your father commanded before his death, Lamar, saying as follows, Pasuk Yudzayin, Kotamul Yosef. So you should say to Yosef, as if Yaakov had commanded the brothers to tell Yosef this after his death. Anasana pesha achecha v'chatatam ki ra'a Please carry or bear the iniquity and the sin and the error uh, of the evil they have done to you. V'atasana lafesha avdei alokei Avicha. Carry or bear, forgive the sin of the servants of Elokei Avicha, the Lord of your father, the God of your father, and Yosef cried. And then after this message was sent, and there was no response from Yosef, excepting the fact that we know he cried, what happens next? Pasuk Yudchet, and then his brothers went, and they fell in front of him, and they said, here we are to you as slaves. Now, of course, these actions by the brothers, these suspicions, the sending of messengers, the going and falling on their face in front of Yosef, the very message that they send about the command of forgiveness by Yaakov, all of this is there's something slightly tragic and slightly sad about this story. And I would like to point this out by emphasizing some of the language here in these psukim. Uh, let us take a look again at Pasuk Tetvav. And the brothers of Yosef saw that their father had died. Perhaps Yosef will resent us. Yosef will bear a grudge against us. Now, in addition to the very possible fear of Yosef bearing a grudge or the very possibility of Yosef resenting them, the language here itself has a very interesting echo. Um, the word yistemenu is not a particularly common term in Sefer Breshit. And I think on some level, it takes us back to um, Perak Kaf Zayin, uh, Parshat Toldot. And there, we, have to, we are told uh, in Perak Kaf Zayin, Pasuk, Mem Aleph, the Torah tells us as, as follows. After Esav receives a bracha from, from Yitzchak, and we're told, And Esav resented or bore a grudge against Yaakov regarding the bracha that, um, that he had gotten from his father. And Yosef said in his, and Esav said in his heart, The days of mourning for my father will Come close soon. So in the past, Esav had resented or borne or grudged uh, the language of Vayistom against Yaakov, and therefore he plotted to kill Yaakov. And here, from the brothers' perspective, at the end of the Sefer, we're told again in Perak Nun, Pasuk Yudal, Luis Yosef, they fear that just as Esav had resented and borne a grudge against Yaakov, was only waiting for the death of the father to plot murder against Yaakov, so too the brothers fear that Yosef bears a grudge or resents them and is only waiting for the death of the father figure of Yaakov to plot murder against them. And therefore now they are afraid that Yosef 
Simply put, is going to do an Esav-like action. And the language here of Yistamenu, the power, the connection, is striking. It demonstrates that on some level, from the brother's perspective, Yosef is no better or no different than Esav and will plot murder against them the same as Esav plotted murder against Yaakov. And this is certainly tragic and striking. Another tragic and striking point is to note the parameter of, of time in this story. And to understand this, I would like to take a look again carefully here at the language. Perak Nun, tells us as follows. After the messengers uh, do not return with any sort of response, and the brothers then went, and they fell in front of them. Behold, we are in front of you as slaves, or we will be your servants. Now in fact, in point of fact, on some level, We've already seen this. Uh, the brothers have, have fallen in front of Yosef, prostrated themselves, and offered themselves as Abadim in the past. And of course, what I'm thinking of here is Parak Memdalid, um, Pasuk Yud Gimel, and on. Um, after the Egyptian Mishnah Melech, the second in command, had planted the Gvi, had planted the cup in the sack of Binyamin, um, the servant chased after the brothers, caught them, brought them back. And we're told in Parak Mim Dalid, Pasuk uh, Yud Gimel as follows, Yud Dalid as follows, Ve'avu Yudah ve'achav beta Yosef, and Yudah and his brothers came to the house of Yosef, Ve'hu odenu sham, and he was still there, Ve'yiplu lefanav aritza, and they fell in front of him on the ground, just as later on in Parak Nun, they fall down in front of Yosef, so too previously back in Parak Mim Dalid, before Yosef's unmasking or revealing of himself, they had fallen down on their faces. And after a bit of rebuke from Yosef in the guise of the Egyptian vizier, uh, we're told um, as follows in um, Pasuk uh, Tet Zion. Yudah says, Man ladoni, man edaber, man hinenu avadim laadoni, etc. In the past, upon being found with the Gvi'ah, the brothers came and they fell on their faces and offered themselves as up to as Avadim to Yosef. So to here again in Perak Nun, uh, at the end of the book, at the end of their lives together again, the brothers come and fall down on their faces and offer themselves up as Avadim. On some level, what this parallel says is that all of that, what has happened in the middle all of the years together, all of the 17 years together, all of the care and all of the concern that Yosef has shown his brothers, the brothers travel back in time. The time is compressed. Just as before Yosef had been unmasked, when Yosef was the cruel Egyptian, the brothers fell on their faces and offered themselves up as servants. So to here, even after the revelation and even after the caregiving, still the brothers fall on their faces and offer themselves up as avadim. And as if nothing has changed, nothing has happened, and it is not just the perspective of Yosef being Esav, but also the perspective of Yosef still being the Egyptian, uh, who will certainly exact vengeance against them. Um, and they must offer themselves up as slaves too. This certainly is tragic and heartbreaking here at the end of the Sefer. And yet there is one more point which I think I would like to emphasize uh, before trying to deal with this issue. And this is, of course, Yosef's reaction. Here in Perak Nun, Pasuk Yud Zayin, we're told as follows after the offer of, of slavery, 
Vayefch Yosef B'dabram Elav. Yosef's reaction is to cry. Now, um, if we think about it, um, and if we uh, follow through in the Sefer, this is not, of, of course, not the first time that we have seen Yosef cry. In point of fact, this is the seventh time that we have seen Yosef cry. Um, and I think on some plane, this crying of Yosef here in the story of the Shiluchin uh, of the brothers, uh, of the brothers sending this message um, to Yosef, I think um, it finishes off the cycle of Yosef's crying. As the, the seventh event of crying, it kind of completes the circle in a very interesting fashion. And to understand this, I would like to go back and take a look at the various times that Yosef has cried to kind of follow this through. So I think the times that Yosef has cried, the crying of Yosef, the seven events of crying can be grouped into two sets of three, plus this last crying here in Perak Nun, which kind of completes the circle in an interesting way. To see this, or to understand this, let us go back all the way to Perak Membet, uh, the first time um, that uh, Yosef cries. And this is in the context of the brothers all appearing in front of Yosef, and Yosef deciding uh, to put the brothers, or put Shimon, uh, into jail, um, and to imprison Shimon briefly. And the brothers have a particular reaction to this. In Perak Membet, Pasuk Kaf Aleph, uh, the Torah tells us as follows: ish el achiv, and a man said to his brother, "Aval ashemim anachnu alachinu asherayinu tzarat nafsho b'tchanu aleinu." We are we are guilty vis-a-vis our brother that we saw the suffering of his soul when he begged us v'lo shamanu, and we did not listen to him way way back when we sold him. Alkain ba aleinu hatzara azot. Therefore, this tzara, this difficulty with the Egyptian, and the fact that Shimon is imprisoned, has come upon us. Vayat and Ruvain and Ruvain answered what he answered, and then. Yosef overheard all of this dialogue between the brothers and Reuven, and he overheard the kind of guilt of the brothers, or the guilty conscience of the brothers. And what are we told in Parak Membet, Pasuk Kafdalad? Vayisov me'alehem vayefch. And Yosef turned aside from them, and he cried. Vayashav alehem, and then he came back into them, vayadabar alehem, and he spoke to them, vayikach mitamet shimon. So in the context of hearing his brother's guilt, in the context of knowing the plan that he's about to enact, in the context of knowing that he's about to inflict suffering upon them, Yosef cries. And, and these tears of Yosef can be thought of as tears of anguish, uh, tears of alienation, tears of mercy. But their anguish, alienation, they're about the distance and the difficulty that he suffered vis-a-vis his brothers. And these are tears of difficulty, pain, and alienation, certainly the first time that Yosef cries. I think, by the way, this is also true, that we should think of the tears as tears of, of anguish, pain, and alienation. Likewise, the second time uh, that Yosef cries. If we think about it, jumping ahead to Perak Mem Gimel, Pasuk Kaftet, uh, for the moment. There, the Torah tells us that uh, the brothers have now returned to Egypt yet again, and they've brought this time with Binyamin. At Yosef sees Binyamin, and we're told in Perak Kaftet, uh, Perak Mem Gimel, Pasuk Kaftet and Lamed, particularly Pasuk Lamed, Yosef and Yosef His mercy was aroused, upon his brothers. and he wanted to cry. and he went into the room. he cried there. he washed his face. and he went out. and he restrained himself. Yosef, of course, knows what he's about to do to his brother Binyamin. Um, he wants to have mercy, but he knows that he can't. He knows he's about to pull this trick upon them, and the sense of of anguish, of pain, of alienation, of difficulty, of connection yet disconnection from his family. These are the tears of Yosef. Yosef restrains 
all of this pain, puts it aside, but briefly it burst out during the tears. And finally, the third time that Yosef cries, I think the tears are really the same. Again, the tears of pain, of anguish, of alienation on some plane. In Perak Memhe, when Yosef reveals himself to his brothers towards the beginning of the Perak, the Torah uh, tells us as follows. Yosef screams out, everybody out of the room. And then in Perak Memhe, Pasuk Bet, Vayitainet Kolo Bibchi, he put forth his voice and cried, Vayishmu Mitzrayim. And everyone heard the anguished cry of Yosef. And what did Yosef say in Pasuk Gimel? Vayom Yosef Elachev, Ani Yosef Haod Avi Chai, does my father still live? And of course, there's no logic to this statement by Yosef of Ha'od Avichai. They've been talking about the old father all along here. And Yosef has just listened to the Na'um, to the address of Yehuda, talking about the father this and the father that. And yet when Yosef cries, he suddenly says, Ha'od Avichai, does my father still live? The answer to this problem is that Yosef's cry is a unrestrained quiet cry of anguish. Whereas beforehand, Yosef was mitapek, he held himself back and restrained himself and put his tears away. Here in Paragraph, he can no longer restrain the inner anguish, a sense of alienation and difficulty that has accompanied him all these years. And he bursts forth with this cry. And what does he say? That which captures perfectly this sense of difficulty, of pain, of anguish and alienation from his family. Does my father live? Because that has been what has been at the core of Yosef's being on some plane all these years. So we can say that the first time, three times, that Yosef cries, um, whether it be upon his imprisoning Shimon, whether it be upon seeing Binyamin, or whether it be upon revealing himself to his brothers, the tears are tears of anguish and alienation and pain. However, I think all of this changes as we move along and see that Yosef yet cries again and cries another three times. In Perak Memhe, Pasuk Tetvav, upon reunification, uh, or even in Perak Pasuk Yudalad, upon reunification with his brothers, we're told, Vayipol al binyamin He fell upon fell upon, al, on. Yosef is now with another person. He's upon another person. He's upon the neck of his brother Binyamin and he cries. Binyamin bacha. And Binyamin cried back upon him. And then he kissed his brothers and he cried upon them. And these tears are different. These are tears of, of joy, of reunification. These are tears of togetherness that are cried upon another person. And the fifth time that yeah, that Yosef cries, it's more or less similar. He cries upon being reunified, a joyous reunification with Yaakov. Again, Al-Tzavrav, again, upon his neck. And the sixth time, it's again the kind of normal tears of either joy and reunification, but perhaps the sixth time a little bit different. We take a look in Perek Nun, uh, Pasuk Aleph, uh, in the scene where Yaakov dies, we're told as follows, Ve'echal Yaakov l'tzavot et banav, and Yaakov finished commanding his, his sons, and his, he gathered himself upon the bed. He died, and then in pasuk, in parag nun pasuk aleph, vayipol Yosef al pnei aviv. Yosef fell upon his fathers again. On vayevch alav, and he cried vayishaklo, and he kissed him. So of course. The crying here of Yosef the sixth time around are tears of sadness. But they're on Yaakov. They're tears of connection. They're tears of normal existence, of normal joy, of normal sadness. And we might say that on some plane, while the first three sets of tears of Yosef are tears of anguish and alienation, the second three sets of tears of Yosef, the second three uh, tears of Yosef, the second set, these are tears of, of connection, of being al, being with, 
of joy, of reunification, of sadness, of bidding farewell, they're the tears of normal existence. However, this brings us back, of course, to Perak Nun, Pasuk, Yud Zayin, and the seventh and final time that Yosef cries. What happens here? Let's read the Pasuk again. Kotamruli Yosef, the brothers send with these shlichim, saying uh, that Yaakov had commanded them, so you should say to Yosef, Anasana Pesha Please bear the burden of the sin of your brothers v'chatatam and their error. Ki ra'ag malucha v'atasana l'fesha avdei elokei avicha. So forgive them. For from a distance, the brothers send these messages. They do not even come in person. And Yosef is alone at this moment when he hears the message from the messengers. And what are we told? Vayefch Yosef b'dabram elav. Yosef cries again. And I think these tears are not the normal tears of, of joy, of reunification. These tears are not even the the tears of sadness that one cries upon another person when their father passes or when someone dies. These are the tears of alienation, of anguish, the fact that nothing has really changed, that he is still distant and alienated from his family, from his brothers. These seventh tears of Yosef send us back to the first set of three. They undo the tikkun found in the last uh, three tiers in the second set of tiers and they so to speak again telescope us back in time to before before reconciliation has happened as if nothing has happened and this is certainly tragic so to sum it up I think we have here in this little story of the Shiluchin of the sending by the brothers three very 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 tragic points in addition to the content one the kind of implicit comparison to Esav, the view of Yosef as Esav, implicit in the language of Luis de Menu. Second, um, the kind of movement back in time to before Yosef's revelation, uh, implicit in the parallel uh, here between falling on the face and offering themselves in, uh, as Avadim and what had happened previously, falling on their faces and offering themselves as Avadim. And third, the notion of Yosef's response, his crying, where his tears of alienation and anguish here, tears of loneliness, uh, resemble his previous first cryings as opposed to his latter cryings, which were tears of normalcy, reunification, and joy. And the question, of course, is, what are we to make of all of this? Uh, how are we to respond to this kind of tragic twist or this tragic turn in the relationship between Yosef and his brothers here at the end of the Sefer? Um, now, in point of fact... As things go on here in the story, Yosef, of course, uh, reassures his brothers. In Parak Nun, Pasuk Yudchet, Yosef said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in place of God? You thought bad of me. And Yosef goes on with his standard narrative, his standard sipur. It is, of course, was God's doing, and God sent me here. And don't worry, I will continue to take care of you. And at the end of Pasuk Kafalaf, we're told, Yosef consoled his brothers, Vaidaber Alibam. And Yosef spoke to their hearts. Uh, and then in the next Pasuk, in Pasuk Kapet, Vayeshev Yosef bin Mitzrayim, Yosef dwelt in Mitzrayim, Huvet Aviv, he and his father's household, Vayechi Yosef Meavesa Shanim. Yosef lived 110 years. So we're told here that Yosef consoled his brothers, he spoke to their hearts. And then Vayeshev, he lived, just like Yaakov, at the end of his life, was settled, and was Vayeshev to some extent. And Vayechi Yosef, Yosef lived, just like Yaakov, Vayechi Yaakov, at the beginning of the pressure. So on some plane, this notion of speaking to their hearts and consoling them, and Vayeshev and Vayechi, perhaps Yosef was successful, and reproachment was again achieved. 
Um, and maybe things did work out uh, well in the end between Yosef and his brothers. But whether that is the case or not, and it's actually very hard to know, certainly we have to kind of think about the tragic twist or the tragic bump in the road of alienation between Yosef and his brothers here found in the end of the Sefer. Now, I would like to kind of briefly mention um, two possible approaches to explaining this alienation or this tragic bump. The one, um, which might be thought of more as a kind of character-oriented approach, um, maybe a human perspective, and, and the other which might be thought of as being more theological in a certain way, and I like to kind of explicate this. The first approach, I'd like to take a look at a very interesting comment of the Balaturim, uh, which is found uh, on the beginning of our story, uh, just to review. Um, the Torah tells us as follows, in Pregnant Prosecutology, they returned to Egypt, and in the next pasuk in Abihem. So the language of the Torah is Vayashav, and they returned from Canaan, where they were buried. Yaakov, of course, and then in pasuk Tetvav, Vayiru, and they saw. Well, what did they see? Simple pshuta shel mikra. Well, they just imagined themselves, or they saw that their father had died, and they thought to themselves, what might Yosef uh, think uh, at this point or do at this point? But the Balaturim says something rather fascinating about the Vayiru and they saw. He says as follows, When they came back from burying their father, Avar Yosef al-Habor bo. Yosef passed by the pit that the brothers had thrown him into. And he said a bracha, Baruch shasali nes b'makom hazeh. Uh, blessed is Hashem who did me a miracle uh, in this place. And they said when they saw this, um, oh, he still remembers what we did to him. And I think this is the point here. Uh, of course, uh, we should not understand the Balaturim as advocating or necessarily saying that Yosef actually did pass by the pit and the brothers did see him make this bracha. But it's really about the brothers' perspective. From the brothers' perspective, Yosef must be still thinking about the Mechira because on some level, the brothers are still thinking about the Mechira. And what animates the brothers here in this story on some plane, according to the Balaturim, is their feelings of guilt, their sense of shame. Um, now, of course, there's another famous place that we see the sense of shame or sense of guilt of the brothers cropping up in the story. And what I'm thinking of is back in Perak Memhei, um, or another comment of one of the Mufarshim, back in Perak Memhei, Pasuk, um, Pasuk, Bet, Pasuk Gimel, when the brothers first reveal themselves to, uh, when Yosef first reveals himself to the brothers. And there the Torah tells us as follows, in Pergmem, hey, Pasuk Gimel, Yosef Ani Yosef, I'm Yosef, They were nivhalu, they were appalled, shocked. Rashi says, because of the shame, because they remembered the Mechira, they remembered the sale, and they were ashamed in front of their brother Yosef because this was the person, after all, that they had sold. So again, there's a sense of, of shame that animates the brothers. Of course, this is not just the comment of the Balaturim in Perak Nur, the comment of Rashi in Perak Memhei, but on some level, this is also explicitly found in the Psukim. And if we go backwards, there's a kind of interesting hint back in Perak Membet. When the brothers stand um, in front of the Egyptian, in front of the Moshel, before Yosef's 
uh, revelation of himself in... No, pardon me. Um, in Perak Mem Bet, Pasuk Yutet, way, way back, um, when Yosef first uh, afflicts the brothers and sends Shimon into the pit, it's a Pasuk we read earlier in Perak Mem Bet, Pasuk Yutet, the Torah tells us as follows. What is the brother's reaction? Pardon me, in Pasuk Kaf Aleph, the brother's reaction, Vayomru ish elachiv aval ashimim anachnu alachinu asherinu tzarat nafshau. When suddenly they run into some minor difficulty in Egypt many, many years later, and uh, they're accused of being spies, and, and Shimon is imprisoned, what is their immediate reaction? What do they think? First, aval ashimim anachnu, we're guilty. Asherainu tzarat nafshau, that we saw the suffering of his soul, bitchanu aleinu, when he begged us, velo shamanu alkein ba'aleinu atzarazot, Therefore, this Torah has come upon us. So we can certainly note the brother's guilty conscience way, way back. And there's yet one more time, which I think is very, very interesting. In Perak Mem Dalid, right before the speech of um, Yehuda, uh, which causes Yosef to reveal himself, uh, Yehuda speaks to the Egyptian, and Yehuda says as follows in Perak Mem Dalid, Pasuk Tetzayin, Bayom Yehuda, Man Omar Adoni, what can we say to our master? Man Daber, what can we speak? Uman how can we justify ourselves? Elokim matza et avon avadecha. It is God who has found the sin of your servants. Hinenu avadim la adoni. Here we are, master, we are servants, uh, slaves to our master, gamanachnu, etc. Now, although on the surface Yehuda is speaking to um, the Egyptian, he's speaking to Yosef underneath the mask, on another plane, what does Yehuda say? Who is Adoni? Manomala Adoni. What can we say to my master? Manadaber. What can we speak? Manatzadak. How can we be justified? Elokim matatavonavadecha. It is God who has found the sin of your servants. But what sin? Yehuda does not think that they've actually stolen the cup. The only sin that Yehuda is talking about here is the original sin, the sin of Mechirat Yosef, of selling Yosef into slavery, and therefore. Yehuda is willing to accept upon himself and all his brothers being sold into slavery. So we can at least note four places where we can pick out the guilty conscience of the brothers. First, when they first stand in front of Yosef and Shimon is imprisoned. Second, when Yehuda speaks and talks about the avon, the sin of the brothers, which justifies their being taken into slavery. Third, when they are shocked, when Yosef reveals himself, and Rashi refers to the bushah, the embarrassment. And fourth, the very interesting comment of Balaturim in our parsha. Um, regarding the fact that the brothers, so to speak, saw that Yosef still remembered the Mechira, and that is, of course, because they still remember the Mechira. They have a guilty conscience. And the idea here is that I think it is the brothers' guilt that prevents the brothers from believing Yosef's story about it all being for the best. It is the brothers' guilt that prevents the brothers from believing uh, that Yosef truly forgives them and from reconciling with Yosef. It is the brothers' guilt that creates a kind of barrier between them and Yosef and creates this kind of oscillation in time where they're always back before reconciliation had happened. We might kind of sum this up that on some level in Derech Midrash, um, what do the brothers say or speak? What is their internal speech in Perak Nun, Pasuk Tetva? And the brothers saw that their father had died. And the way I translated this before was that perhaps Yosef will resent us or bear a grudge against us. But Lu, perhaps, can sometimes be 
Let's th- let it not be. It could be a sense of the negative, of how awful if that would happen. Oh, chas v'chalila, that this would happen. But sometimes, as Rashi often points out to us in Chumash, lu uh, can mean ulai. It can mean, oh, if only. Lest, uh, not lest, but halavai. If only it would happen. And Derek Rash, we can read this as saying, lu yistemenu yosef, v'ashev yashiv lanu et kol out of guilt on some plane, the brothers say, if only Yosef would resent us and bear grunge against us and punish us and turn us into Avadim, then finally we could get the onesh that we deserve. We could achieve kapara, we could achieve forgiveness through some sort of measure for measure because what we really deserve is to be turned into Avadim. Maybe, just perhaps, the brothers are animated by a guilty conscience and it is this guilt that creates this kind of tragic twist, this tragic bump in the road at the end of the story here, at the end of the Sefer. Now, although time is short, I'd very like to briefly sketch another possible approach, not one which is so much character-oriented um, about the brother's guilt, but one which can be thought of as a little bit more uh, objective, perhaps theological, or destiny-oriented. Let me explain uh, what I mean by that. Let us go back to understand this, back to Parak Memhe, um, Pasuk Tet. Um, and the original speech of Yosef to his brothers when he reveals himself uh, to his brothers. And there we find in Perak Memhei, Pasuk Tet, Yosef says as follows, Maharu va'alu el avi, go up, hurry up and go up to my father, and say to him, Ko amar bin Chai Yosef, so to so says your son Yosef, Samani elokim la'adon l'chol mitzrayim, reda'elai al tamod, and then Yosef says in Pasuk Yud, v'yashavta v'eretz Goshen, you will dwell in the land of Goshen, v'yita, Karov Eli, and you will be close to me. Um, you and your children, everything you have, and why? Why do you need to be close to me in, of course, the land of Goshen? And I will support you there or provide sustenance for you. There's another five years left to the famine. Maybe lest you perish, you and your family. So Yosef proposes that his family come down to time and be close. The term is Karov, in the land of Goshen. He, of course, will remain in Egypt in this role as Av, Adon, Moshel of Mitzrayim for the purpose of being the Chakelotam, of supporting them. Now, if we think about this, um, there's only five years left to the famine, but, of course, quite a bit of time has passed by the time we get to the end of the Sefer. To be precise, we know from the beginning of Parshat Vayichi that Shvas Reshana has passed. 17 years have passed. So the famine has already been over for more than uh, 12 years, for 12 years at least. And when we come to our story, our little tragic bump on the road in Pergnun, Pasek Kaf Aleph, when Yosef reassures uh, his brothers, what are we told here? We're told, V'ata al anochi achalkel etchem. The exact same word of, I will provide sustenance for you. Meaning, 17 years later, Yosef is still talking about providing sustenance for his family, even though the famine has ended. And apparently, I would argue, that if Yosef was in Beit Paro, as the Moshel and the Adon and the Melech, etc., for those first five years with his family only close to him, well, for the next 12 years, if he's continuing to sustain them, he is, remains in his court position, um, and Yosef remains in Egypt, his family in Goshen, and this model of Yosef being only Karov, of slightly distant, sustains itself and goes on over time as Yosef supports his family. 
Um, and on some level, we should realize that this is not just a practical issue, but this is, of course, Yosef's interpretation of his destiny. This was God's plan, as we argued last week, discussed last week, and as Yosef himself maps out for us in Parak Memhe. Um, we might even add that it was not just God's plan to send him in front of them, the Mechiah, but Yosef's first dream of the bundles bowing down, that is accomplished through the fact that his family is dependent upon him for sustenance, for wheat, for food, for grain. And Yosef's second dream of being the ruler over everything, over the stars and the sun and the moon and etc. And Yosef is the ruler over everything. He's the ruler over Egypt, over Paro, over all the surrounding lands. And this is Yosef's destiny. And Yosef stays in the house of Paro as for practical reasons, to support his family, but also for reasons of his destiny, what his life is all about. Now, I think to wrap this together, there's a kind of key scene. And maybe there's an idea here that there's a kind of, of price uh, to Yosef's sacrifice for his family, a kind of price um, for Yosef's destiny. Um, we pick it up in Parak Memchet, the key story in the earlier part of Parshat Vayichi. Of course, Yaakov calls in Yosef and Yosef's sons, Benash and Ephraim, and he wants to bless them. He wants to bring them into the covenant to make them like Ruvain and Shimon. And after all this kind of back and forth, this talk um, about blessing Menashe and Ephraim, we're told in Perak Memchat, Pasukhat, Vaya Yisrael b'nei Yosef, Ve'omer, Mi'ele. And Yisrael saw the sons of Yosef and he said, Mi'ele, who are these? Who are these? Now, Rashbam and Ibn Ezra say, well, he couldn't really recognize them. He was a little bit blind, like his father, Yitzchak. And there he said, who are these? He couldn't really see them. And Rashi says, Mi'ele, that some sort of evil would come out of them. But maybe the right answer is somewhere in between, and we can kind of glean this from Yosef's response. In Pasuk Tet, Yosef says, Vayom Yosef el-Aviv, they are my sons, asher natan li elokim bazeh, that God gave me in this. These young Egyptian men, who Yosef brought with him, Menashe and Ephraim, who were raised in the house of Paro, they had the appearance of Egyptians, whether it be in mannerism or demeanor, etc. And to Yaakov, they were not recognizable as his sons. And he said, Mihem. And Yosef's answer was, In this life that I have had, in this existence I have had, this existence which was God's plan, my destiny um, uh, to support my family and where I have remained in the place I have been in time, these are my sons. This is what they are, and they are still mine. On some plane, the dialogue here reflects the fact that Menashe and Ephraim are not like the other members of Klaeso. They're not like the other sons of Yaakov, because they are the sons of Yosef, who have been raised in Egypt. They're a bit foreign. On some level, the fact that Yaakov does not recognize them is the price that Yosef has paid for destiny on some plane, for the sacrifices he made for his family. And I think maybe this theme can be expanded to the end of the Sefer and the kind of tragic bump in the road. Yosef made great sacrifices for his family. Yosef made great sacrifices for his destiny. And in this destiny that Yosef has lived out, the sad point is, there's always a tragic side. In living in Egypt, in maintaining that mask, in making the sacrifices he made, is a sense of alienation, of distance from the things that are deepest in him, from his father, from his children being like his brothers, from his brothers themselves. There's a sense of distance that can never be overcome. 
And that tragic twist at the end of the story, Yosef reports, I will take care of you, do not worry, that tragedy is always there in the life of Yosef. You have been listening to KMTT Kimitzion Tetzay Torah. And once again, I wish to remind you that this is KMTT Appreciation Drive Week. And we're waiting to hear from you. Phone number in New York, 212-732-4874. And in Eretz Israel, 052-545-6023. Call to.